0: Welcome back to A New Way where we're finding new ways to balance our emotional well-being and take the power back. Today is such an honour because I have Tommy Reichenthal joining me. Tommy was only nine years old when he was captured and taken to Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. Um, Tommy didn't speak about his experiences for over 50 years and since then Uh, He has had a number of accolades, such as honorary doctorates from various universities. Um, He's had a few documentaries, which I've watched and are incredible. He's he's been awarded the Global Achievement Award by Ireland, the People of the Year Awards, the Tommy Reichenthal Scholarship. His portrait has been taken to be added to the collection of the National Gallery of Ireland and many, many more accolades. Tommy Reichenfeld, it's a privilege to have you here. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for giving me your time.
1: Good morning, Claire. And welcome. To be on your program.
0: Yeah, you had such a happy time. I read your book recently, um, which was. I I actually mentioned to you a few weeks ago we were talking on the phone and I said I'm really enjoying your book and you said I I don't think it's enjoyable and I said no I didn't mean that I meant it's the way it's written and it was a really tough read Tommy and um, really upsetting and I just can't imagine that how frightened you must have been as a boy but it kind of it starts out with how happy and carefree your childhood was. And I mean, you spoke about your 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 mother and your grandmother and they'd make everything from scratch. They'd make, you know, butter and jam and cheese and liquors. Um, and then the local carpenter made a toboggan um, for the snowy weather. Um can you just tell me a little bit about your childhood and growing up before um, the bergen and what happened? Well, uh,
1: I was born in Slovakia uh, and... Uh which is uh, central uh, Slovakia and uh, we lived in a small village, uh, Merasice. Uh, I remember sort of if I go back from sort of uh, four-year-old and I have very fond memories from there. We were very popular in the village as a family. Uh, I mean uh, the people of the village they were uh, very nice to us, and uh, when they needed any, ex- uh, uh, any advice, they always went to my grandfather here at the village shop. And uh, we, know, we knew everybody, and everybody knew us, of course. There were about 700 inhabitants there. And uh, each time that anybody visited the shop, My grandfather would ask uh, if everybody in the family is alright. And also we were included with all the social events in the village, whether it was uh, a funeral or a wedding, uh, they would invite my father or my grandfather to the event. So we were involved in the uh, village, uh, they mostly were farmers and my father was a farmer as well. As a child, I, uh, there were only a couple of family in the village, uh, and even the other family, Jewish family, uh, they were converts. They, they converted in their twenties from Judaism to Evangelical faith. Uh, so we were basically the, the Jewish family and uh, we were the only uh, two Jewish boys, my brother and myself. So our friends, they were all Gentiles, they used to come to our farm, and we used to play. And I always refer to to, uh, to to the time and the place, uh, that it was my paradise, I still say it today. Yeah. Uh, because I have such fond memory. Uh, First of all, we lived in the village, so the life in the village was always richer uh, than in the town, especially when the uh, war in 1939 began. And uh, uh, you also had more uh, goods like eggs and sugar and uh, and, uh, bread and uh, all these sort of domestic uh, uh, goods, uh, vegetables. Uh, and we used to exchange among ourselves uh, in the village. Uh, my father uh, grew a lot of uh, uh, sugar beets. So we had sugar, well, for sugar, we got eggs from somebody, chicken. And so uh, we, we had more than the people in the town. So, the family uh, from my father's side, from my mother's side, they used to come to visit us and uh, they always had a good time in uh, our house. And the children, their children on their annual holiday, they used to come, my cousin, uh, for the annual holiday to the village and we used to play. I used to know of all of them, my aunt and Uncles and yeah. cousins, it, it, it sounds more
0: so lovely and alive, yeah. Yeah, it sounds, but so uh,
1: all this, of course, uh, ended uh, a yeah. sort of uh, uh, once the war began. And, uh, yeah.
0: and I, I think, from in reading your book, you started to notice a shift and a difference when you were playing at school, you were playing football with your friends, and it went from Tommy passed the ball to all look the Jew scored and because you, like, you only you were
1: only eight or nine when when yeah, I, I was younger, but my brother he, he was in the team and uh, they would call him by name. Mickey Miklos was his name.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, this was this uh, period that slowly began to change and suddenly, instead of somebody shouting, uh, make you pass me the ball, uh, the Jews, Mm -hmm. the Jews, pass me the ball. And I don't think at the time even it was uh, from the point of hatred or anything, but they heard it in the house, and of course the newspaper and everything were uh, full with it, uh, the Jews, uh, Uh, causing all the financial problems and all the problems in the country. They blamed us for everything, because that was their uh, type of uh, propaganda uh, to create this hatred against the Jews uh, in the country. The government in Slovakia was a fascist government, sympathetic to the Nazi regime in Germany, and therefore actually when the war began, and uh, the Germans began to occupy the various countries in Europe, they didn't occupy Slovakia because Slovakia was really uh, one of the friendly countries to the uh, German to the Nazi regime yeah. and through Slovakia they used to transport the ammunition and uh, uh, military equipment and uh, the soldiers, uh, through Slovakia to the border, to the Polish border where the uh, war began. So uh, we were, while the rest of Europe was being occupied by Germany, Slovakia in fact was not. Uh, so basically speaking, uh, we had a good time in, uh, in the village and uh, everybody,
0: Uh, And and then the the government in Slovakia paid the Germans to take the Jews to the concentration camp, is that correct? Yeah,
1: well it was all uh, very uh, very uh, uh, carefully designed the whole system how they wanted to get rid of the Jews Mm. uh, in Slovakia and uh, I mean they had a Sight into the future, and they, they wanted to do all these things uh, such a way that, in the legal sense, uh, there uh, it was not the Slovaks that caused all the trouble. It was not the Slovaks that uh, uh, transported the Jews. It was it was the Nazis, the Germans, and uh, it was. Uh, a man, Ludin, the Hans Ludin was his name, uh, the ambassador, German ambassador in Slovakia, who actually signed the deportation orders for the Jews. It wasn't Slovak that signed it. So uh, Slovakia thought when maybe they, they saw the future, I don't know why they could say, uh, we were the victims, we didn't do anything, it was the German, even the expo- expulsion of the uh, Jews, uh, it was the German that signed the uh, deportation order, you know, so uh, they did everything, like the Germans are very efficient and everything was done very efficiently. Yeah.
0: Uh, you mentioned... Um... I I think it was in your book or somewhere. Um, The Holocaust didn't start with cattle wagons and gas chambers, but with whispers, taunts, abuse and finally murder. One of the lessons we must learn is to respect difference and reject all forms of racism and discrimination. I thought that was just really good um, because when you think about the Holocaust, you think of all these um, horrific things happening, but you forget how it started. And it was just um, little things happening all the time you know They more restrictions where the people I've seen in documentaries they thought it was just a temporary thing you know there might be a sign up you know this is happening now and they'd go okay that's only little and it it might be temporary and but we'll just go back to when you were captured as a young boy and there's a, a couple of things stood out in your book that really um really affected me I mean all of it did but there was just a couple of um sentences that I just thought wow and one of them was when your grandparents were taken away and your dad had been fighting all the time for an exemption because you were farmers and they were like really necessary Um, and when they came to take your grandparents and it was kind of like your dad kind of knew there was nothing more he could do there was no talking them out of it they weren't leaving without them. And one of the things was when your grandmother took off her apron strings, and I just it, it just really stood out because it was kind of like she she gave up and she knew that she couldn't, they couldn't fight any longer. And it was just so horrific. And and both your grandparents died, along with um over 30 others of in your family um were murdered in the Holocaust. And um, that was one part that stood out to me, and the other part that really um Really stood out was when you were in the cattle trains and the doors shut and you could hear that being locked and that was um that was just uh, such an impactful um part, paragraph as well in the book and that was seven that was seven days then in that train um and i can't imagine what that must have been like for a, a young boy and you i think you mentioned that somebody died on the train and it was your first time experience around a dead person and there was you know, no food and water and toilet facilities, nothing. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what, what was going through your mind? Uh,
1: it is actually uh, that you described me just so to affect that you uh, that the moment when we boarded the uh, train, uh, we were in a detention camp in Slovakia, in Seret. And from Seret, then, you know, they. they uh, the transport to Germany, to Poland, and other places where from this detention camp
0: we were there about uh,
1: the two weeks. But we were treated humanely. This is in Serb, in the Slovak, Slovak uh, detention camp. Uh, we had enough food, we, we had uh, facilities for taking showers and uh, clean clothes and all the rest. So basically you can say it was bearable. uh, We were incarcerated, but at least uh, we were treated like human beings. Mm. Uh, So there we standing on the platform to board the train, and I always always refer to it, here we were standing as uh, civilized people, clean clothes, everything was uh, Okay, we were fed and not hungry or anything. But when we boarded the cattle cart, I mean, it's not a a big place. There were about 50 of us in the the cattle cart. Uh, In the middle, there was the open barrel with a couple of buckets that uh, served as a toilet. And we got in, and suddenly they closed the uh, door of the cattle cart. this change from one situation to another took a couple of minutes. In other words, from one moment when we were civilized to the next minute, we were like cattle. We were like animals. Uh, suddenly, we realized there is no privacy. You had to do. You think front of strange people that you never met in your life, and. Uh, uh, in a small place, uh, eventually uh, people were going and think the stench was unbearable. There were no window that you could open or anything. There was only a little vent, uh, uh, like small window in the corner of the uh, cart, basically for the animals to breathe, but we had to to be there. So. I think this was one of the most horrific moments that uh, I remember still today, that that, uh, the actual change from one situation to another in such a short time, in such an extreme way, was one of the most difficult things to sort of take in. That, uh,
0: you and then never... when, and then when you got there there was german um nazis and they had big alsatian dogs and they were just shouting and roaring well, and said,
1: we, we we traveled 7 days and i mean from slovakia to Belgium, Belgium, if you travel normally it would take a day travel maybe yeah, uh, on a train but uh, uh, we were really uh, originally destined to go to Auschwitz and if we went to Auschwitz uh, it I wouldn't be here definitely but uh, what happened and you can you can interpret it, uh, as you will it was a luck it was the god it was everything uh, the Darchenberg of uh, auschwitz were blown up by the Germans on the 7th of November, uh, 1940, uh, uh, 1944. And uh, 7th of November, we were in the catacart because we left uh, Slovakia on the 2nd of November, and we traveled uh, till 9th of November. And on the 7th of November, the German blew it up because They were already beginning to pack up, uh, (laughs) to say it uh, bluntly, uh, uh, to retreat, because the Russian army was uh, advancing from the west uh, to the east. And once the gas were blown up, they diverted our transport uh, to Bergen-Belsen because uh, in Auschwitz, the children, they were straight sent into the chamber. So this, by the whole uh, the trip was so long. And when we arrived into Belgium, Belgium it was middle of the night. I, I, I never will forget the moment. It, it was raining outside. It was cold because it was November and Belgen-Belsen is in Northern Germany. So of course, the the temperature was very uh, cold. And uh, once the cattle cart opened, we were greeted by the SS soldier, herouse, herouse, schwer, you know, out, out quickly. And they had the Alsatian dogs barking, with weapons, they were aiming at us. So it was a very frightening moment. Uh, You didn't know what is going to happen next, and especially for the adults at the time already. uh, This was uh, uh, towards the end of 1944. So the adults among us already knew about the gas chamber, they knew about the crematorium, because all this new filtered out and. Uh, we were informed as children. We didn't know anything about it, but the adults knew. So you can imagine when we were marching uh, uh, from the station uh, to the, the train station to the actual camp, it took uh, about two hours, two and a half hours, uh, pouring rain and uh, no protection. Uh, the adults among us, they thought, these are the last uh, uh, couple of minutes uh, that we are walking on this earth. We, they were sure uh, that we are going to be gassed. And of course, uh, we come to Bergen-Belsen. Uh, Bergen-Belsen was not extermination camp, it was a detention camp. Even though we had a crematoria in Bergen-Belsen, uh, it was used to burn the Corpses because people were dying in Bergen-Belsen, not because uh, they were being shot or gassed or anything like this, but uh, there was an epidemic of uh, typhus, and uh, they, uh, you know, there was no medication.
0: And,
1: and, it and was you, like sentenced to death. You, you yeah. died after several weeks or months, you died. And, uh, uh, they would burn the corpses for the obvious reason, because the Germans really thought originally that they would win the war, and uh, they could say then in Belgium, Berlin, nobody died because we didn't have any graves or graveyard. The corpses were uh, burnt, and the ashes were thrown uh, uh, around. So uh, that was the plan, but uh, of course. Uh, mm. <laughs> But, uh, you mentioned
0: was yeah. You mentioned when you got there that um, in your book that you couldn't eat like you, the, the bread they gave you just a little ration of bread and it was stale and really hard and, and you couldn't eat that and uh, your mom was like begging you to eat it, but your your granny was there, Oma Rosalia. And um and she had like a few pieces of pepperoni, a few slices of pepperoni, and she rationed them out to your grandchildren. And um, and then you would eat the bread because she had put a little bit on there. Well
1: you see when when we were taken away, bread, uh, you were allowed to take with you small suitcase, but really small. I mean it wasn't like you go and on holiday you take these big yeah. suitcase. We had like a sort of a Atasha case or something, you couldn't put much in it. But many, many families, because this arrest was happening all around, and when the police come to the house of the Gestapo, which was the German secret police, and they come to take you away, they would give you five, ten minutes. They would come in and say, "Pack it, ten minutes," and you know, so in a panic like this, how can you think, what would I take? I have only this little suitcase. What is more important than others? So many people have these suitcases ready that in case they will be raided during the night or betrayed or something, and they are suddenly have to go. The cases were ready there, already, the stuff inside the important thing maybe uh, extra underwear or or the, no you couldn't take much you know and uh, as you said uh, salami and sweets and things that uh, you needed or medication uh, for a while uh, you 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 had all packed ready to go and uh, my grandmother uh, you know but, uh, she was thinking what will, so that what she thought she will need. And she packed salami and thing. And it was sort of, a, you know, that that long salami, so she might have taken half of two or three different salami, sweets and things. And, and then when we arrived to, to the camp, uh, and we saw the food we were getting, I mean, it was not for, People, it was for pigs, you know. For uh, uh, So, uh, I as a child from the beginning wouldn't eat it, You know, you, as a child, you were exposed to you At The home. I could say, I don't want this. I don't like spinach. I will get green. I will be green and think you had choices. And so, uh, 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 a child continues to think you can. Uh, ask for something else if you know mm-hmm. but uh, in the camp we ate every day the same thing you couldn't uh, ask so my mother uh, did say and uh, said you have to eat because if you don't eat uh, you will die i mean we saw the dead all around us mm-hmm. uh, this is the only thing that we have you know mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so eventually you 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 hunger, you starve, and you eat what you get. Uh, but uh, my grandmother Rosalia, she shared because we had three children: my cousin Chava, my brother Mickey, and myself. We used to every morning sit sort of beside her on the bed, and uh, she would cut the. Salon, very, very thin, and so it lasts because she knew once that's gone, it's gone. There yeah. is no more of it. So she and stretched it as long as possible.
0: And she died, Tommy, in Bergen in in Belsen, didn't she? And you, and you remember yes, she died, that? Was even she away. died on the 7th of March uh,
1: 1945, uh, just a uh, month before we were liberated. Uh, she basically died from starvation. Her medication, she used to take several things and uh, that so she had no additional medication. And she basically dried up. She didn't drink enough. And only one morning, uh, uh, which was 7th of uh, March uh, 1945, uh, I saw my Aunt and my mother, they were uh, crying, and I said, Why are you crying? And they told me, My grandmother passed away. And of course, that um, episode, uh, that morning, is something uh, I will mean, never forget uh, uh, till I passed away. It, it was just horrific. You know how children love their grandparents you know they always spoiled them and everything and my grandmother uh, they lived uh, uh, we had a house that was sort of divided in two and uh, one half they lived and in the other half we lived so i used to go to my grandmother and she always uh, baked something sweet something nice and then she would give it to us and She would tell a story. So she would spoil us, you know. And this morning uh, on the 7th of March, uh, we had this uh, group which was called uh, the Commando, the Special Commando, uh, which was responsible for uh, taking the uh, corpses uh, to the mortuary and then uh, to the crematoria. And every morning, they would go from block to block to see if anybody died during the night in the block. And of course, this morning, uh, my grandmother died. So these uh, two men, they were from the men camp. They had this uh, 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 cart with two wheels. And uh, they come into the room. Uh, My grandmother had to be stripped of any clothes. And I remember the skin was just hanging. She was just like a little baby, a skeleton. She was totally uh, from hunger. She uh, uh, dried up. And uh, one was uh, taking her by hand, the other by leg. And they just threw her onto the uh, cart. And then she was wheeled up. And thrown a pile of corpses outside. And as a kid, I mean, for the first moment, we just were stunned. We were sitting on the bed there. and Already, we couldn't even cry anymore, you know. Mm. Just what happened in front of us was something mm. described, something so horrible. Uh, when you think uh, your you grandmother treated the without any respect or anything. And uh, I suddenly ran out after five or ten minutes. I wanted to see where my grandmother was buried. And of course, by the time I came out, uh, there were other bodies thrown over my grandmother. So uh, she was buried on on the pile of corpses. I will never forget this. Um, it, it
0: this is, this is a picture.
1: Woman. Yeah, that's a picture of my and grandmother. She this did. is uh, before she was arrested. She was uh, dressed like a peasant, but they don't uh, 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 this uh, uh, that that she doesn't look like Jewish, you know, in uh, modern clothes, in uh, dress, because the peasant woman. They didn't dress in a dress. They would have a skirt or several mm-hmm. skirts and things. Uh, so you put uh, and a shawl on the head. You, mm-hmm. you know they were present. So she didn't look like Jewish. But yeah. unfortunately, she was betrayed. Uh, and that was the picture uh, of no, the, the,
0: the, the day she was taken, yeah. And it, yeah. Just, just above her is um, your local priest. I just yes. wanted. I yes. just wanted to briefly talk about him to because he, um, before your dad knew how how bad things were getting, and he changed you and your brother's name, your surnames, yes. and it's then thing, you know, in my story. And, and then in this my, this priest, yes. Father Her- he he had um, he was a Catholic priest, and he. Taught you some rituals of Catholicism so that you could pretend that you were Catholics yes, to right. evade capture. And uh, yes.
1: no, in, in my story, I'm I'm describing. Uh, I mean, uh, the, 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 the religious people. They were good and they were bad. I mean, yes. Joseph Tiso. He was a priest. He was the president of Slovakia, mm-hmm. but he was a big anti-Semite, and uh, Mm. he surrounded himself with people that that hated Jews. And uh, uh, also the propaganda against the Jews was spread to the churches because Mm. uh, we didn't have uh, uh, television or even radio, especially in the rural area. Mm. Uh, If you have radio, you were considered middle class, and the farmers and the thing they didn't, they, you, they couldn't afford it, you know. The, the people were poor, they lived from their uh, field, and once a year they, they grew whatever they were growing, uh, selling it, and then from that money they had to live uh, the whole year, you know, so it wasn't easy. and. Uh, uh, so, to, uh, to spread the propaganda against the Jews, the uh, easiest way to do it was through the churches, uh, the masses, they preached uh, that all the uh, trouble that we suffer in Slovakia was fault of the Jews. That's how the uh, people began to uh, believe, because people believed what the priest was and they began to believe that maybe it's all fault of the Jews and they began to uh, uh, hate them. Uh, But there you have this priest who was a friend of our family, Mm -hmm. and uh, he knew that things were very bad for the Jewish people, Mm -hmm. and he suggested to us, you know, uh, it's very difficult to be a Jew. Why don't you convert? I will make the conversion, mm. and they wanted really to convert us. But at the time already, the Slovak government brought out uh, uh, laws. Uh, they wanted to block this loophole that the Jews could say, "Oh, I'm I'm a Catholic. I'm no longer a Jew. I converted." Uh, they didn't convert because out of persuasion. they just converted because they wanted to save their life. You know? mm-hmm. So many of these conversions happened, and then of course the law came out, and the conversion didn't mean anything. That what, what the government said at the time that anybody converted that converted after a uh, uh, thousand. Uh, 920, uh, they will not recognize it, only people that converted before the the 1920, because uh, they knew that these people converted uh, out of persuasion, whereas people afterwards, it was only a trick to do it. So my mother said to the priest when he suggested, he said, uh, It's good, but uh, it wouldn't help us anyway, you know. So we didn't. Uh, But we, as you know from the book, uh, we left the village in 1944. This was after the German uh, occupied Slovakia, not because they wanted to occupy Slovakia, but there was an uprising of the Slovak people because even they suffered under the uh, fascist regime. If uh, you didn't join the fascist party, you were discriminated again and uh, against. And if, if you spread any rumors against the government, uh, you were arrested, sometime, never seen again. And when the uprising happened uh, by the Slovak people. Uh, many of the police and uh, army joined the rebellion. Uh, So uh, Tiso couldn't suppress this uprising. And that's why the German army occupied Slovakia to save the Tiso regime, which was sympathetic to the the Nazi regime. And at that time, we knew uh, that no uh, exemption paper or anything will help but once the German occupied it, and this was the time that my mother, because we socialized with the priest in the village. Uh, he, he was from Hungarian background. And to speak in Hungarian in Slovakia was prohibited. It was a criminal offense. So the priest uh, spoke Slovak, but very uh, not very good. He was Hungarian. And uh, my parents were educated in Hungary, so we were the only one. My parents were the only one that he could communicate, and therefore we become very friendly, and we we'll go to him and uh, play cards and have a social drink and everything because uh, uh, father Hahn goes uh, liked the occasional uh, schnapps, you know. And uh, uh, so they were very friendly. And he suggested, uh, uh, no, my mother sort of asked, you know, you always wanted to help us. So now is the opportunity. We need false papers so we can live.
0: And when, like... when you were captured that day, your mother wanted to hide yeah, the papers. Yeah, because and keep we, we, were,
1: we were, you know, uh, Jewish people sometimes. Uh, what we call look very Jewish, you know, dark skin, uh, big nose, uh, and uh, but we were we were looking very German. We, we had blue eyes, blonde hair, uh, real uh, sort of Central Europe uh, things. So yeah, you and, uh, and your
0: brother Mickey.
1: Uh, That's my cousin. He was the only one that uh, survived. Uh, when a group uh, went about seven uh, to Buchenwald and he was the only man mm. that uh, survived out of seven. That's, that's Mar-
0: Margot's son, is that your aunt Margot?
1: Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, she had two children, Kama. And Margot was, uh, Margo
0: was uh, in Bergen-Belsen Mar- with you? Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Can, can
0: you too. Can you tell us what, what a day kind of looked like in the camp, Tommy?
1: Well, yes, yeah, no problem. belgium uh, uh, Belgium was a detention camp. Most of the people in belgium Belgium didn't vote for anything. There was nothing to do. Uh, basically, uh, people were starving, freezing, and being punished and tortured and uh, dehumanized. Uh, and people were dying, even though it was not extermination coming In Belgium, Belgium, over 70,000 people died. It is estimated about 20,000 uh, Polish and Russian prisoners of war and about 15,000 Jews died in Belgium and Belgium from starvation, disease, and cold. Uh, and some people even took their life. So the, they would start with the Roar Corps, uh, the the roll call was about 7 o'clock. I really can't say for sure, but it was early in the morning. And uh, Belgen-Belsen was in northern Germany. So uh, it, we were there from November, December, uh, depth of uh, winter. So at 7 o'clock, going out on the roll call we were there um, in freezing cold. We had, first of all, uh, you had to stand outside and it could take anything from, from uh, three-quarters, hour to hour and a half, waiting for the supervisor to come and do the uh, uh, roll call, you know, to call the name. We didn't have any name, we had numbers. And when they come, we we had to wait outside until they come, maybe two SS. We were supervised by women SS. They were only young. In the 20s. Young girls in the 20s, 23, 24 year old. Uh, But they were uh, sad. They were uh, horrible. I mean, uh, who can't describe it? They never spoke. They always shouted, and they would call our mother uh, "prostitute" and dirty Jews, and all kind of names, and dirty Jews, and uh, and that uh, was the tune. And uh, if anybody misbehave immediately, they, they lashed them with this leather. Uh, that they were uh, carrying with them all the time. So once they come, they did their all call. They called the number. And I, I don't remember my number. And, uh, and so do I many times think, well, I didn't sort of take it as a souvenir. But, you know, as a child, you don't think about these things. So it was a piece of cloth, uh, inch by two inch long and their big letter, were uh, the number. I only remember that I had six digit number, but I don't remember the number. And when my number was called, uh, you had to shout, yeah. And, and when you think about it uh, in practical terms, I don't know why they needed it. But uh, it, all, you know, on one side, it, it probably was, uh, uh, good, but uh, from our point of view, because for example, uh, my uncles uh, and aunt in Bochenwald uh, that were taken to Buchenwald because we were a group of twelve that were arrested on the same day. it was sixteenth of uh, October, and we were arrested all on the same day and when we were Taken from the detention camp to Germany, we were split. Uh, seven went to the right side. These were uh, adult uh, men and women uh, that were uh, destined for work, so there was the chance that they survived. And then uh, us as uh, old uh, uh, women and uh, mothers and children. We were destined uh, to be uh, exterminated. And um, so, when we wanted to find out about our uncle, when they actually died in the the camp, we found these roll call lists in Buchenwald, which are still there today in the archives. And you can see every day the roll call, and every time they uh, called the name, they put a little tick that they were there. And suddenly I have, for example, here copies of uh, the roll call that was done in the block where my uncle was in. And you could see after a certain day that he sticked up and then suddenly next day, he's no longer there. So we actually know of the people that died in Buchenwald, what date they, they died mm. because of these lists, So in Belgium Berlin, they did it as well. You couldn't escape. So the only only, only thing uh, they did, it that uh, they could register. If somebody died, they could register that they, they died on a certain day. And if the cross, uh, was uh, investigating or something. They could say yes. Uh, isn't this, this person died yeah. or that day because they had typhoid or something.
0: And, and in that. in your book, then Tommy, you mentioned that um, you thought that you know there was just like it's awful. There was, you know, dead children and babies, and you thought they were dolls. And you were you were kind of t- saying like, why why are mm-hmm. children just discarding their dolls there and? I don't think it was until you were older that you realised that they were they were actually children, did you?
1: Oh, it, it is just uh, horrific, I mean, the whole thing. Our our block where we lived, uh, these blocks were flimsy wooden blocks with windows. And uh, they didn't have any heating or anything there. But the block was uh, split in two halves. On one half, there must have been about 100 of us uh, from Slovakia, mother, children, and grandmother. I think there are about 30 children, sort of between three up to about fifty in our block, and then their mother and the thing. So there must have been about 100 people. And the other half, was maternity ward. It was the only maternity ward in Belgium-Belsen Belgium, because many women um, um, are pregnant uh, to, the, to the concentration camp and they're bearing the children in our block. Uh, and that that's where for the first time actually, I saw how children were born because as kids, when we had the the crying and shouting of the women bearing the kids we used to open the door and we used to peep in what was happening and you know the children were born till the the nurses would see us and chase us away but we used to look at what was happening so that was the place where I saw for first time how child children were born and um, of course, many of these women also were raped in the in the concentration camp, and they become pregnant. And these women were like skeletons. And when when they had the child, they had no milk, had no breast, mm-hmm. and, uh, nothing. You know, you couldn't distinguish who was a man and who was a woman because mm-hmm. you couldn't see any attributes. Everybody was like a skeleton, so that they didn't have any milk for the kid. And the kids, uh, they they lived maybe two or three days, and they died. And the nurses just went to the latrine, uh, which was about uh, 100, 200 uh, yards away from the uh, hut, and they threw them in. So as a child, you know, I knew about these things. And uh, I sort of asked one day, I said, we didn't have any toys, you know, because nobody brought toys with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to, to, to my mother or to my aunt, I say, why are they throwing away these dolls? We could play, you know. That you know, the, I was told that not, not not toys, that are the real human beings. Mm-hmm. I'm naive today when I think about this. You know, it's something that I have to always say. Uh, You know, when you're telling your story, uh, people sometimes tell you, you know, I can only imagine how it must have been. And my answer is, I say, you can't imagine. Nobody can imagine. It's not that we suffer from time to time. We suffered 24 hours a day. We suffered every day, whether it was humiliation, whether it was starvation, cold, uh, everything. Everything that you did, which we take for granted every morning, getting up, going to school, and doing the usual thing, the day goes through, and everything that we did was difficult, complicated, dirty, smelly Uh, It's just something that no person in the world ever will be able to imagine what we were through. And I remember when we started to speak among ourselves about uh, the time that we were in concentration camp, my brother, my cousin, because we didn't speak about it for years. And uh, the first question we asked each other, how did we survive? How did it survive? There are things that we're doing today, and we're trying to think about it. What did we do there? How did we manage with these things? Yeah. Uh, it's just uh, something that uh, I always mention. Nobody could imagine. And it is very interesting. Uh, you know, if I uh, meet a other survivor you know right? occasionally I meet people in various uh, situations and there would be other survivors they' giving a lecture or uh, on an interview or anything like this. the first thing we put hand around each other, hug each other and and because each of us know what the other one went through. Yeah. <laughs> We understand it's like a separate family in the world today that went to something like this, that no other people can imagine. But we know, I know what she went through or he went through, and they know what I went through. And we always, when we meet, it's like a friend that I was only speaking yesterday. We never saw each other. In life, you know, but that moment, it's this common uh, uh, experience mm.
0: uh,
1: get us together like we're family. So we are sort of a sever, uh, separate family. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, human. A- after uh, after you, it was after liberation in 1945. Luckily, your you and your brother and your mom and dad survived, and your aunt Margot who has another story and it's incredible. It's in the book. Um, you saved her life. Uh, she she stopped eating. She had typhus and she stopped eating and she wouldn't eat for anybody and she just wanted a cigarette and you actually managed to get some cigarettes from the nurses and you rationed. you made her um, eat and then you yeah, gave her a smoke. It, 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 and,
1: uh, you know, but after the liberation, many years afterwards, even when I already, grew up, I wasn't a kid anymore, Mm -hmm. and she would have any guests or anybody in the room, and I I come in to say hello or something. The first thing she would say, you see this man, he saved my life. Because as a kid, you don't expect these things, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And as it happened, after the liberation, my aunt, Margot, got typhus. And typhus is a very contagious uh, mm. uh, illness, and it's only also uh, something that that uh, without medication, and that's what happened in Belgian, belsen uh, You you it was like a sentence to death mm. because if you were dying from typhus, it's not something that you got it, and in the weeks you. You passed away. Uh, typhus, it, uh, it's a promo, prolonged uh, illness. And if you uh, don't uh, use medication, you eventually die. Uh, and you get diarrhea, you get rehydrated, you eventually can You haven't got the strength uh, to uh, collect your food. Uh, and you don't eat, and you die. Uh, but we were, when, we, when uh, Margot had to go to hospital, so my mother thought I, I was very skinny, very, just like a skeleton. And everybody was saying, you know, in the hospital, they're giving a, a good food and everything. We better uh, send Tommy as well with Margot. So at least he will be looking after. And he will recuperate and uh, get... Uh, so, but it, it took time, uh, the English took time to discover that uh, uh, when they come to the camp and they saw all the starvation, uh, what the British did, they had couple several trailers, maybe four or five trailers, and they filled it with... Uh, a military portion, and they put them in various strategic places in the camp. So, and they say, take what you want. Well, of course, the food was a, contained much pro- protein mm. because it was for the soldiers to keep them strong and things. But the inmates in Belgian Belsen, they were all skeletons starving for months. Mm-hmm. So their stomach couldn't digest the thin beef, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they did mm-hmm. really good to have food. And many people died because they were so starving. They just opened the thing and they gobbled it in. Was uh, it, was it, was it 2,000
0: people? Was it 2,000 people died? It,
1: it, it, it's estimated about 2,000 people died because of this mistake. So once they discover what happened, and we come to the hospital, uh, they started with little square of uh, bread with, with whatever was inside uh, to give us. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I wasn't sick. I didn't have typhus. I was okay. Only that I was very skinny. And uh, I was starving. I, I so I I was going. I was the only child in that uh, 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 building because this was already concrete building. This was the place where the German army stayed before. So they did a, a hospital out of it. And um, also with my pajama. They didn't have children's pajama. So they gave me an adult pyjama. So the top, and I was quite a slow boy. You can see how small I was from the picture. So when I put the top on, it went to my ankle, you know? And so uh, I used to run around the hospital and they only saw this top of the pyjama is <laughs> running around. So they, they all sort of, the nurses special, I and mean, they were all, all there were mortally sick people lying there. Uh, uh, so they all admired me and uh, they gave me a little... When,
0: when you were liberated, you were never offered any kind of counselling or um, any no. kind of support no. and you didn't to talk just about just your finish, experience. With,
1: let me just finish with mine, mm. And because that's, that's, I, you can change it in there. Yeah. <laughs> thing, but so, wouldn't eat or drink. The only thing she was asking me to get cigarettes for her. And uh, of course, when I started to beg for a cigarette, I didn't speak the language, but I spoke a little bit German. And there were German nurses, there and English nurses. And I would go and I would say, can I have cigarettes? And they said, you are a little kid, you can't. I said, it's not for me, it's for my aunt. So they would give me two or three cigarettes and I would come to, to my aunt and, you know, kids can be very, very uh, horrible when it comes to things like this. And I would have the cigarette, so I have a cigarette. And I, oh, and, and she would go like this, you <clears throat> know, I, I would take that. Glass with the water. I said, Here you have water. You drink that water, I give you a cigarette. And she was so desperate, so she drank. And then I would take the cigarette and I would tear it in half. I said, Here you have the half. When you had it, you want the other half, you have to eat. It. There is some food for it. And so I said, my my aunt, because if she wouldn't have ate, uh, that uh He was also hallucinating, you know, yeah. telling me, oh, my husband was here yesterday, and he, this, oh, this brother was here. And then finally, it took a couple of weeks for my mother and my brother to find me, because the hospital was huge. There were about 20, 30 of these hubs. And they were looking for me. I mean, there was no list of patients in which hut they were, what birthday like when you go today to hospital, they tell you the board. They were, yeah. There was nothing like this. So they had to go so and they would look in. And so when they come to our hut and they said, you know, he's a little boy, and the name Tommy, oh yes, we have a little boy here. And here suddenly they come. And of course, my aunt would start to speak to my mother, the sister, have sister. And she said, Oh, my, well, was here, my he here. And I would start sort of behind. Behind, I said, she, She's not, you know, she's talking rubbish. Nobody wants me. I mean, this was time, a terrible time. But, uh, that's how I her. Yeah.
0: but from such a young age,
1: you 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 knew. Yeah, what she knew. I had to come and said she. Also, another thing, she used to have uh, gold chain. I don't know how she smuggled it because you couldn't. Uh, uh, you know, they would have taken away from. Mm-hmm. But she probably had it somewhere, so she had it on, and I knew that she started doing. I mean, she was hallucinating they would take it from her, she wouldn't even know, you know, to pinch. Mm. So I took it. I wore it, and uh, her wedding ring she had, and her watch, so that they don't uh, steal it from my. You know. I
0: can just imagine you I with the Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, um, your parents never spoke about anything that happened, and you didn't speak about it for over 50 years. You were married, and um, your, your wife...
1: I, I, this was a, I must say I, I did not suffer from uh, post-depression or uh, some uh, that I would have had uh, PTSD nightmare or-, or anything like this. I survived really very well. The only thing uh, that uh, always, you know, my kids were growing up, and you know how kids are, they always leave half of the food in the plate. And I used to say, why don't you eat it up? Because, you know, you won't be eating it. And, uh, you know, if I had uh, this this food in the concentration camp, I would have uh, gobbled it, you know, I was starving. And um, every time I used to say to them this. Of course, my children were growing up and when they were about 18, 19, I still would say, and they would say, Dan, you know, we know more little children. You don't need
0: to tell yes.
1: us a story every time we leave something in the play.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I, I agree because as a child, even though I saw all this horror and uh, think what was happening around, Uh, I didn't understand, Uh, I didn't have the deep understanding, the scale of the crime, the horror that was happening around. Obviously it was horror, I realized that it wasn't right, but uh, I got used to it. I don't know how to describe it, you know, Mm. but the Arab people, they of course, took it all in, they knew what is happening here, what what these splitting families, children, both parents, and uh, murdering uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And the, mm. We didn't see it that way. So many of these people suffered, uh, suffered a post-traumatic uh, uh, stress. stress. Mm. And uh, I was invited one time to... Uh, seminar of nurses and and doctors which which uh, uh, was a professional seminar and they invited me only for the purpose of speaking about uh, uh, post uh, traumatic uh, uh, distress uh, of Holocaust survivor mm-hmm. well I I, I am not a doctor, and I didn't know anything about it either. But I had to give a, a presentation. So I read some things. I looked on the internet and wanted to find out how they treated. And I, I was like, well, this, this we are talking of 70 years after, after the Holocaust. And uh, I myself was very surprised. When I learned that uh, there are uh, um, uh, institutions in Israel that still hold um, the Holocaust survivors, these uh, survivors never were able to uh, le- uh, learn to live in open society. So they had to be in, in this, uh, in this uh, institution. And uh, they still today, 70 years after, I mean, these people are in the 80s or the 90s. Mm. Uh, they would be uh, at a supper and look around and ne- nobody was looking. They would hide some food in the pocket because they didn't know if they will have food next morning. And this was still the trauma, uh, what happened in the concentration camp or they wouldn't go to, to, when they were taken to have shower, they would not go to the shower because they thought that this is only a, a tricky, it's really a gas chamber, they're going to gas them. So it, it, it's up to, of course, I'm sure there are not thousands of these types of cases, but there are still these cases and many, many thousands, still today, don't speak about the Holocaust. They just can't speak about it. I I, I didn't speak about it for 55 years, not because I didn't want to speak about it. I just couldn't speak about it. I When I started to speak about uh, my experience of the Holocaust, which was about 2004, and this was first I started to write some article in magazine. Um, it, it, it was very difficult. When I started to talk and I talked uh, in a school, I actually uh, met uh, the teacher um, uh, yesterday. Uh, that for the first time, I spoke in his school, and this teacher uh, sat beside me with about uh, 20 of chil- children in the class. And as I was speaking, I didn't know how to speak, and I was speaking too openly, too loosely. Uh, suddenly I was crying, the children were crying, and he was crying. And I, the last night I sort of mentioned to him, you know, Tom is his name. I said, Tom, you started the whole thing I, you were the first one. You remember sitting beside me and the tear coming down your face. He said, I know, I know. I think you see, it, see him in the film, the first films I did, where he's talking about. So I met him last night because uh, my, uh, my granddaughter had a graduation yesterday and we had a little party in the evening yeah. uh, to, to celebrate. And he was invited to there. <laughs>
0: do, do you find do you find it it's kind of something therapeutic about talking about it and kind of getting, well, it might,
1: getting? it might have been from the beginning. I I don't know, but today I I mean I spoke about it hundreds of times, if mm. not thousands. You know, I spoke to over hundred twenty thousand students at least, and I. You know, I, I record every talk I give, and I have it all. So there is over 120,000. I The other day I spoke to about seven hundred students at the same time. So it's it's it, it's more now a, a sort of a job than um, you know.
0: And you're it's raising not. so much awareness as well. Like I've. And in uh, one of your, in one of your documentaries, you um, the students that write to you, they some of their letters are said in the documentary, and they're just it's just so much awareness that that you're bringing to young younger people, and um, and the documentaries are amazing. Like you you were going to you nearly met one of the female SS guards, Hildy, um, yeah.
1: but she Hildale. Hildale, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, and she um she she it ended up anyway she didn't want to meet you but um it seemed to me like from from watching her and because there was a previous interview it seems like there was kind of no remorse there anyway with her and um, but you come across so kind of calm and forgiving i think would that be fair to say And well, yeah, I,
1: don't... I don't think that would be right because there was no uh intention for a ever i right? mm-hmm. not not because myself that I said, I'm going to forgive. I, I take it like I, I can't forgive. Mm. And it's not up to me to forgive. It's uh, the, the people that no longer are among us, the people that were murdered, they are the only ones that can forgive, and they are, of course, not allowed. Mm. But by the way, Hilda Lissier, which died uh, last December, Uh, Her birthday was on uh, January. She would have been 100 years old. So she died a month before her 100th birthday. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she had a good life, I suppose. Uh, But uh, I made her life, not that I made her life, but because of uh, this uh, uh, trying, this encounter, uh, I made her life a little bit. Uncomfortable because she had no intention that her story uh, will get out to anybody, not even to her children. It was only because I brought it up that uh, her story went, uh, I mean, it went, that story went right around the world. I have a newspaper cutting from China, Russia. Korea because and because of your docu- because of your
0: documentary, they, close Steven.
1: Yeah, that they wrote that a, a Holocaust survivor wants to meet uh, uh, his perpetrator. And she it was such a unique thing. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't to forgive. It was more uh, to do a reconciliation.
0: Yeah, she um she went back to Bergen Belsen and, and to show her children and everything as if you know.
1: She wanted
0: to show them where her mom
1: used to work, which is, is a bit sick. It sounds a uh, bit sick to me. It was uh, up to that degree. She brought her, her children there for the first time.
0: Mm-hmm. And, of
1: course, in the museum, uh, there are many pictures from uh, the people who sort saw of the guard of Bergen-Belsen uh, in the photographs. And suddenly, she saw her photograph. In, in on the wall and she she didn't want to show it yeah
0: she to was her and
1: her. so i said come on let's go home and she, yeah, she was afraid she, that somebody will recognize her yeah,
0: yeah.
1: but uh, i'm glad i never never met her yeah. uh, anyway i i just thought uh, that it will give her opportunity and maybe to me as well that it was sort of Close the story. I mean, uh, the perpetrator never met a survivor face to face, except maybe in courtroom sometime when there were witnesses. But privately, like this, I don't think it's ever happened in the world. And we thought it would be uh, something that would affect the other one as well that here is the last opportunity. There is, here is one of the last survivor and he he's one of the last perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And uh, she will say after 75 years, she will say, you know, Tommy, uh, I, I, I'm uh, sorry this happened. I didn't want that, uh, 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 that she apologizes to me. I, uh, on her self-behavior, generally, they mm. uh, acknowledge that uh, she regrets what happened. Yeah. Because none of her interviews and things, she ever showed any regret mm. or said sorry for what happened. So I thought, if she meets me, uh, she will be able to say it, and I would have shook her hand. Uh, I don't know how. It never
0: happened. I yeah. I, I won't take up too much more of your time, Tommy, but um I, I think I mentioned to you when I met you a few weeks ago that um I, I read a book by Eddie Jacou. He, he the book is called The, the Happiest Man in the Planet or on Earth. Um, but he mentioned in part of his book that after they were liberated, that they there was two women standing on a bridge one time and they were gonna throw themselves off the bridge and um they they were going to be arrested and brought to an institution, a mental institution at the time. And he kind of stepped in and, and he took care of these. He he asked the authorities, could he take care of them? And he said, you know, they, they weren't mentally ill. They had just been through a horrific ordeal. Um, and I suppose that's what my page is about. You know, it's I'm trying to find a new way um rather than just take take a diagnosis and take a prescription. There, there can be other ways of looking at why you're feeling the way you're feeling. There could be earlier traumas or um, adversities. And, um, and that's why I um, started the page. And I, I can't imagine how your brain at, at that young age can take in all that darkness and um, hatred. And, you know, your brain is developing and you seem to just have made such a massive impact now later on um, when you did start speaking about it and you've, you've opened the eyes of Irish people and people all around the world and I'm so happy that you that you came to Ireland and, um, and to have met you Um, but one of your documentaries you actually met the granddaughter of I think it was Eichmann was it? And it was Hitler's... Uh,
1: she was the granddaughter of uh, Hans Ludin and he, uh, I okay. mentioned Hans Ludin was the man yeah. That uh, signed the deportation order. Yeah. And actually, uh, she took me to the grave because uh, yeah. her uncle was, uh, uh, the, her grandfather uh, was uh, put on trial in 1947 in Slovakia, mm-hmm. and he was sentenced to death uh, for crime against humanity. And he's buried in Bratislava. And when we were in Bratislava, uh, we were filming there. And and this was one part that was kept a secret from me, uh, that she's going to ask me if I will go to the grave. I I wasn't prepared to it. Yeah,
0: you you can see that in the documentary. When, When she asked you, you were kind of like, she said, would you like to come to the graveyard with me? And you said, not really, but I'll do it for you. And um, then. But...
1: Like it hit me sort of uh, the moment. And they deliberately left it that way because usually yeah. when you're filming, you're talking, uh, even the
0: or... you
1: sort of rehearse a little bit. Yeah. But this part they left out because they knew if they let me think about the tumor, mm. I will say, no way, I will go there. Mm. But when you're there on the spot, uh, I said, I don't, but I do it for you. And uh, this was uh, uh, one of the uh, parts. Yeah, it was very, quite difficult.
0: And, and, and it, it looked really emotional as well, because at, at his grave, it kind of came back to you, about all the members of your family that didn't survive. And, yeah. um, and he, he
1: was the one that signed the deportation. And here I'm standing, but she said, "But you are here." He yes, yeah, and he's I mean, not. And it, i mean, He's an extraordinary person. We're still in contact. Yeah, it, a,
0: it's yeah. such it was such a powerful part of the documentary because um, here you have somebody who's related to that man, um, yeah. and and you, and when you met, I, I don't know, I I kind of just. Um, noticed that she kind of got off the train and she wasn't, it looked like she wasn't really sure what was going to happen. As, as
1: you know, in, in filming, many things happen that mm-hmm. you don't expect or you're planning something and you don't know how it will work out. Mm-hmm. Now, we wanted to take this, uh, of course, the uh, director wanted to take this shot when we come together. So, this train comes from Wien, So he only got one information. She told him, I'm in one of the last uh, uh, carriages, you know. And so when we come on the platform, we could be sort of said, well, the train will come in. The steam engine would be about there. And the last uh, carriage would be about here." Let's stand here, maybe. And we stood there. We didn't know where where uh, she will come out from. So that once the train stopped, we looked up, we looked, up, and suddenly, right front of us, we stood exactly where she was. Yeah. Uh, the and and was.
0: from from an outsider's like perspective, it looked like you were old friends or or you know relatives. You, you kind of just met and hugged, and then you were linking arms, and and you just looked so close. And and she mentioned, Alexandra mentioned that some of her family weren't happy about her, you know, talking well, she, about this.
1: she's really black sheep in the family yeah. today, because you know every family in Germany today they have uh, uh, something uh, that happened in the family, and.
0: They don't
1: want to, don't want to talk, talk about it. Yeah. Because uh, at the time, uh, the men, all the men, they were in the army, yeah. basically, and, and uh, everybody was involved in one way or another, whether you were policeman or soldier yeah. or SS person, in some way uh, witnessing or perpetrating uh, these uh, horrific crimes. And um, they, they keep it to themselves, you know. The grandparents, they not talking about it, and the next generation also not talking about it. So and,
0: yeah, she,
1: she, she accused her grandfather. He was 100% Nazi war criminal,
0: mm-hmm. and he
1: deserved what he got. Mm-hmm. And of course, the rest of the family, the why? She committed suicide. No, she no. died in She couldn't live uh, uh, with the guilt mm. of what her husband did.
0: Yeah. And
1: uh, so in that family, they have a lot of uh, uh, problem. And her brother, or is it her uncle, uh, he made a film about the family. Two or yeah, if you also condemn his uh, yeah, uh, uh, what well, it would But be you had
0: you ha- um and you said to her, you know, if her family followed with that with her, that you you will be her family, and it was yeah. just so lovely to see um two people yeah. coming so you together lost like your that. your
1: family, but again,
0: yeah,
1: another family. Because my brother, I he met her as well. What did so he? She's in this, of course, putting my brothers. Well, I, I, I see her still talking on, yeah, on Skype. Exactly.
0: And she, she brought her daughter along. She wasn't going to, but she did. And you and the daughter had a moment then, and you were kind of both crying. And she said she, she promises that she will tell her children and her grandchildren about this. And
1: uh, it was such a dramatic thing because you know. I, when I'm talking, I always say, you know, you're, uh, when we're all gone, uh, you will be the generation that will have to keep the memory uh, going. But uh, really, I said it, it will have to be the German that uh, will have to uh, keep the memory going. Because there is no point asking an Irish person uh, to uh, keep the memory, because Ireland wasn't really involved in anything with this. It's the German, and here uh, this girl is telling me exactly what I would like to tell her,
0: yeah.
1: and I just went. I, I got was so emotional about
0: it. So did uh, I,
1: tell me I think that, that's <laughs> I... the message. That's the message I want to be about. It's the German, they have to keep the memory of the Holocaust because they did it and the human race has to learn from this so that it doesn't happen again. And here she comes with the exact ball, what I wanted to hear, you know.
0: It was really, and she looks so young, but like so... Yeah, yeah, it was
1: fantastic. But talking about uh, uh, psychologically, what uh, really happened to you? And you, you, you remember the story about the guard in the watchtower, uh, they were Hungarian prisoners of war and because the Germans were taken to the front line. So they put these uh, Da army, as I call them, into the watchtower. They hardly had any teeth anything. and things. Uh, and of course, when they were eating the bread, they cut the uh, uh, crust of the bread and they were playing there. There were about uh, five, half a dozen children. We were playing about 100, 200 uh, yards from the watchtower. And they, this fellow in the watchtower, they were not high. This watchtower were only you could speak like, so, but they shouted, Come, come. And he was sort of calling us with the hand. So at that moment, we were afraid to go to him because we were afraid he might shoot us. But at the same time, we said, if you don't go to him, he might shoot us as well. So he went there. And of course, uh, then he threw this crust on the ground and we jumped like little puppies and we we fought over crust of bread. At the time, I did it out of necessity. I was starving and didn't, I didn't think twice about it. But um, now when I was speaking, it was a couple of years ago, and um, I'm speaking about this instant what happened and suddenly the tears come out. And the teacher, couldn't understand why I'm crying, you know. And uh, after I, the lecture was over and thing, he said, why did you cry when he was speaking about this? Uh, I mean, it was very uh, nice story and everything. And I said, you know, you wouldn't understand. But uh, at the time I was a little kid, nine years old. I was starving. For me this this was something uh, because uh, uh, it was better than the bread we were getting, you know. Uh, But now, as an adult, I feel the humiliation now. And I cried, how could I be like a little dog fighting on a piece of bread? Even now it it, it affects me, you know. After all these years, 70 years, I'm crying because I'm humiliated what happened 70 years ago. So this this is what what this type of thing uh, do to you. It's it's something that you don't know only when you're talking about it, suddenly it's Mm -hmm. it's a big problem for you. Otherwise you wouldn't even think about it twice.
0: Mm I just just can't. Do you ever get angry with religious belief, like religion as a whole, and just how this has come about? Do you get angry? Can I ask you? No, no,
1: no, I have no. uh, You know, I went to Germany to study uh, engineering, and that was in 1957. Uh, This was only a little over 10 years that I was incarcerated. And uh, to me, uh, more important was for me uh, to get the best education than what the German did to me. I, I didn't think about it that way. Uh, I, many people I remember at the time when I made the decision, they said, how can you go to Germany after all the suffering you can said, I want to get a good education Mm. uh, in engineering and the Germans are the best and I want to learn from them. And you know, one thing I noticed at the time that uh, when I met people sort of uh, uh, over 35, 45, I would wonder always, I wondered what they did during the uh, uh, war in in the forties, because I knew they were somewhere and they all were so uh, helpful, anything that uh, if I needed to sort out something in the government offices or something like that, they didn't know what to do for me. You know, they they wanted to help me and everything because they carried this uh, terrible complex of what they did during the war. So, but I never suffered any discrimination or anything uh, uh, from the Germans, uh, quite the opposite. They, were, they invited me to their houses. I used to have a, a, a person, he was in Wehrmacht, he was telling me about it. He was a very nice man, he uh, played chess and I played chess as well. So he invited me to the house and used to play chess with him. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't know what he did, but I thought that he wouldn't have. He was a soldier in Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht were all the old, ordinary soldiers. They were not involved like the SS in the in the Einsatzgruppen that did the massacre, you know, the uh, shooting and all this. But I met uh, many second uh, uh, second generation of, German, where the father or grandfather was involved in the most horrific event.
0: Yeah, and I they they have the
1: group, the adulthood, that, that uh, they never told the children anything. Yeah. And afterwards they found some some diaries and things. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we met uh, all broke, uh, crying, and all in a terrible state. Uh, because they carried this, this uh, responsibility, which, of course, is not fair because they didn't do anything wrong. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't carry any, any, anything against uh, a German. I remember I spoke to a girls' school not far from uh, here that I uh, live, and uh, uh, I gave the lecture, it was a girls' school, and after the uh, lecture, the teacher came to me and said, there are four girls that want uh, to ask you something, but they didn't want to ask in front of everybody else, mm-hmm. is it all right? I said, of course it's all right. So these four girls come in front of me, they were 16, 17-year-old, uh, and they said, the chairman, uh, do you hate us? And I said... Not, not at all. Quite the opposite. I think you you are the generation uh, that uh, created a democracy in Germany mm. and uh, you deserve much uh, admiration uh, that today Germany is an uh, uh, example for all Europe, for the democracy they have and uh, uh, in Germany, they have uh, very strict laws uh, concerning the Holocaust. You're not allowed to deny it. Uh, it's a criminal offense and all this. Mm. So I wish you well and uh, look after yourself and continue your good work. They were absolutely amazed, you know. But that, that's my attitude. I, mm. it, how, it, it's not fair. If I would uh, have anything, because what the grandfather did, they're not responsible for. It. Yeah. And, uh, that's I I know quite a few people in Germany. Uh, every time uh, a new ambassador comes to uh, uh, Ireland, uh, the first uh, uh, call is uh, I'm called for a cup of tea and. Uh, uh, actually, yesterday, uh, we were invited, not yesterday, before yesterday, we were an, uh, invited to the German Ambassador for afternoon tea uh, because she is leaving, mm-hmm. and she wanted to say goodbye, so she invited us. She invited also the Israeli Ambassador, and she invited uh, Jerry great the producer of the film, mm-hmm. And she did a beautiful afternoon tea. It was a lovely day. Mm-hmm. And she's be- I mean, very friendly. Yeah. She came a couple of times to our house as well. So uh, yeah. well, she was to keep, keep in touch. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I have to tell you still, there's nothing to do with uh, uh, the Holocaust. But uh, uh, I was telling her that, um, in the village, Merashitsa, you know, uh, I was contacted about a month ago. Actually, he contacted me about two years ago. He sent me a message, or messenger, you know, and I, I very rarely open it to to, to see. Well. And I opened it about a month ago, and I saw a message there from this man, and... Um, he said that he would like to speak to me and um, about the people in Melashicenti, and, and I got to, I said, "Oh, I better get in touch with him." So I sent a message back that sorry, it's two years past, but I never knew that you. It transpired that he's a, a, a solicitor, he's a lawyer, and uh, his uh, parents live in Melashicenti. But they come there only in 1985, so I wouldn't know them or anything. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he, he started to inquire and found out about the Jewish people in Mirashitze. He found out about us, about me, then, you know, from the Google and everything. And uh, he t- started to speak with the uh, people there to that are still alive, is also in the 1890s, you know, and uh, but about Reichenthal and the Jewish people in the village. And they all said that we, we were very nice people and all the rest. And uh, anyway, that what he wants, uh, he said, uh, uh, because of... Uh, we live there, and of course there are no Jewish people in surrounding, they're all gone. So the, the, the people now don't even know that uh, Jews ever lived there. He, he said it's very sad that even though there were good people and everything, nobody is sort of interested, and they should know that we were born there, you know. And he met many of the old uh, 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 people of Merašiče that would have known, my parents. And, uh, and uh, all said that, yeah, uh, very good. Uh, and he told them uh, about me. And they said, yeah, give our best wishes to Mr. Eichenthal. Uh, and we would like really to do something uh, that we remember them. And they want to put a plaque, which is very unusual that uh, 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 people in certain villages they want to because also my my fame and everything, they want to put a plaque in Merash um, uh, to
0: um, well, no.
1: whoever will live there again and think that they know that once here were many Jewish people. And, and, and they are prepared to help in this project and uh, do something. Uh, so I I said to, to, to them in the end, I said, well, it will be a great honor. And uh, if you succeed to, because this type of thing, you have to have permission from the mm-hmm. local, whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, if you do, I will come specially. Yeah. Uh, to deliver a speech or something, I think. And by telling you this story? Because I was telling the story uh, uh, before yesterday to the uh, ambassador, that the people of the village would like to do it. So she said, Tommy, if this happen and you going there, let me know, I will come as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That, that would
0: be quite an emotional day, wouldn't it, Tommy?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and, and also Jerry heard about that first time. And uh, it, he said, that his partner, Miret, she said to Jerry, I would like to be there if yeah. Let's go it if yeah. it happens. Let's go as well. We can make a little holiday. And, and, and so
0: I, and I, I want to come as well. Never
1: <laughs> there, You know, I like to go
0: there. Yeah. So I said,
1: oh, we have already
0: a little past. <laughs> yeah, I I'll come too, Tommy. Um I, I won't <laughs> pick up any, any more of your time, but I really appreciate you um telling your story. And I'm I'm glad that you you found a voice again after so long to tell people. And I'm sure you've changed so many lives with um talking about what happened. And I really appreciate it. And it's been so lovely that we got to meet. Um and you have your book and you have a, a children's book as well. Uh, yes. which I bought for my daughter and I think it's really important for us um, yeah, I, you know, enjoy, yeah 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 to talk about this and always hold it in our hearts. Um and you're just such a lovely person and that's I'm important. so I'm so sorry all that has happened to you, but I'm I'm glad that you're here in Ireland and that you've you've, sorry, you've spoken much. about it. We
1: we all have a little story to tell, you know in our own way. My story is a little bit and uh, not pleasant, but this was the only time in my life that really uh, I had bad times. Uh, mm-hmm. If you take a uh, uh, eight odd year and only uh, I suffer a couple of years, it's not not bad. otherwise uh, I had a very interesting life uh, From then on I traveled all over the world. And, yeah. Met so many important people.
0: And there's somebody at your door now. So I'll leave you go, Tommy, all right? Thanks a million for talking to me. Okay,
1: thanks. see thank you. Me.
0: Take care of yourself. And keep in touch, Yeah, I will. Thank you. Okay. you. Bye-bye. Right. The best.